And on this Father's Day, I asked my uh, two sons, Gregory and Luke, who are identical twins and 16 years old. I said, I want you to feel any obligation, but I do want you to have the opportunity. I want you to pray about it if you feel like it. If you feel God's given you a word, I'd like for you to help me to speak on Father's Day morning. Tonight, Brother Tyler Ritchie and Brother Tim Ritchie will be speaking. Amen. And one day we may have to get Brother Chuck McCleary to join in, so we'll have three generations. <laughs> So I asked my sons if they'd like to speak with me because you've already heard my father teach. And so I thought, well, that'd be cool, you know, if there are three generations, but I don't want them to feel pressure at 16 years old with all of their peers watching. But after uh, praying and fasting, Brother Gregory Luke said, our Brother Gregory Luke, I just combined them into one. Brother Gregory said, I think I'm ready, Dad, so he's going to help me this morning. And uh, Luke said, I think I'll be an armor bearer. And I said, that's great, too. We need armor bearers, and I'm thankful for my family, and I'm thankful for young people that have a heart for God and have a heart for this church and love the things of God. And so this is a special day for us. And I am so glad that you are here today to be a part of this. I turn your attention to one verse of Scripture in Luke uh, chapter 15 and verse 20. Luke chapter 15 and verse 20. And we are reading a story that, that Jesus told as a parable to his followers about a man who had two sons. And I just want to read one verse and take our text from it, and we'll explore the verses around it. Luke chapter 15, verse 20, And he arose and came to his father, referring to the youngest son who had been on a wayward journey. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And I would like to speak on this subject today, the view of the father. The view of the father. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord, we're thankful for your word and for your presence. Thankful for this opportunity to be in your house and to celebrate your glory and your greatness. What a good God you are. Thank you, Lord, for people that treasure your presence and have come with their families to be in this house for this special day. We ask you, God, that you would anoint our hearts and minds to receive your word and anoint our lips to speak your word without fear or favor. In Jesus' name, we ask. Everybody said amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing. 
Four chapters earlier in this same gospel, Jesus is describing how the Heavenly Father responds to each of us asking. And he draws an analogy of how we as natural fathers respond to our own children. In Luke 11 and verse 11, he says, If a son shall ask bread of any of you, that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then be an evil, referring to our fallen flesh as humans, know how to give good gifts unto your children. How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? He uses the analogy of human relationship of a father and his children to illustrate how your heavenly Father responds to you. Jesus, God manifest in the flesh, is giving a parable about the response of a father. And in actuality, is describing himself. He uses the relationship that we as natural fathers have with our children, and he illustrates the way that a heavenly father also responds. But he's saying, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts, how much more your heavenly father, who is good, who is great, how much more can he and will he give heavenly gifts? In Romans, Paul says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God... They are the sons of God. So if you're wondering whether or not you are a part of this heavenly relationship, there is a clear definition that if you are led by the Spirit of God, that you are the sons of God. And then Paul in Romans 8 goes on to say, For we have received the Spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father which means daddy. That's the kind of relationship that your heavenly father desires to have with you. Now, in just a few moments, Gregory is going to come up and talk to you today about the view of the son. But I want to talk to you for a few moments about the view of the father, because I believe that if we could ever really get a perspective of how much our Heavenly Father loves us, that nothing will ever be able to shake your faith. There's no trial, there's no trouble, there's no sickness, there's no broken relationship in this life, there's no depression, no despondency, no depth that you can go to that will separate you from the love of God if you can get a revelation of how much your Heavenly Father loves you. It's hard for us to see that because we're natural beings and we're trying to understand the love of a spiritual being. How do we get our arms around that? Well, one of the things we do is we look, and when Jesus gave this this example, this story, he he gave us a, a spiritual portal to look through to understand 
And if we can see it from the eyes of our Father, we can understand how much He loves us. And if I can see how much He loves me, then you don't ever have to worry about being shaken. You don't have to worry about being torn from the grasp of God's goodness. Because no matter what you go through and what I go through, He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. He loves you. He doesn't not like you because of the mistakes you make. You're still His son. You are still His offspring. You were created in the image of God. He is still reaching for you. He's still going out the road and looking for you. He has still put out the welcome mat every day, every moment, every opportunity because He loves us. James says that every good and perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights. Now, it's interesting that he uses that word lights. Because here, the Lord, our Heavenly Father, is described as the giver of light. And light illuminates. We know that, right? It gives clarity. God starts out giving light. He gives natural light. Let there be light. And then, throughout the Word of God, He gives spiritual light, understanding. But it's more than just clarity. He also gives direction. Moses in the burning bush illustrates this. Our Heavenly Father gives us the gift of direction. When you're not sure what to do, the light of His love illuminates our path, gives us clarity, and it gives us direction. It leads and it guides. But finally, and this is one of the things that I want to try to emphasize a little more today, it gives restoration. The Bible illustrates this through the fire of the baptism of the Spirit because it says, He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Fire can restore. We see that through a purging forest fire that can restore life into the forest. They burn, they have controlled fires sometimes so that life will come back because fire purges and it restores. We, we see how that light, when it's focused through the power of a laser beam, it can restore perfect vision even to your natural eye. The same thing is through, uh, true through our spiritual insight. And that is that when the light of God's love penetrates our heart, doesn't matter who's hurt you, doesn't matter the pain of your past, it is the light of God's love like a laser can penetrate you and give you perfect vision so that you see through the eyes of God. You see that God still loves you. God's still reaching for you. He's not left you. He's not lost your zip code. He still knows who you are. He knows every valley, every trial, every trouble. So this heavenly Father gives us the gifts of clarity and direction and restoration. And we see all of that illustrated in Luke 15. In the parable that Jesus gives us in Luke 15, he talks about a wealthy man who had two sons. Now I'm going to try and pretend that I am that man. So I can see things through the perspective of this father. I have two sons, so I'm halfway there. But this man, there's only a few verses that are given to us. But maybe those few verses have been preached about more than anything else in the Scripture. But if I can see it through the eyes of the Father. One of the things that my son Gregory was sharing with me uh, as we were talking about this passage of Scripture. And it was insightful for me uh, when he gave this perspective. 
Because at first glance, it may not seem like that this was a really good father who gives this young boy all of his inheritance while he's so young that he cannot understand the value of it. But there may be more to the story than what we see at first glance. And when Jesus gives this parable to illustrate, he's illustrating how that the shepherd leaves the 99 and goes after the one sheep that's left the fold. And so to illustrate that biblical principle, that spiritual principle, he gives the story of the prodigal son. Now you may wonder how this would illustrate that the shepherd would leave the 99 and go after the one, when in this story, it doesn't appear that the father, you know, chases him down. It doesn't appear that, you know, he hires a detective to follow the boy around and to give a report. We don't know. It just looks like the boy said, I'd like all my inheritance now. And the father said, okay, fine. But I think there may be more to the story. This is something that as uh, my son Gregory and I were talking about this that, that he shared. And I think this is so important. We don't know the tens, the 50, 100, I don't know how, what the number. But we don't know the number of conversations that the father had with that son about this inheritance. There's no telling how many times the father said no. Because he didn't want the son to be hurt by having too much too soon. But eventually, he had to give him the money so the son could learn on his own. He would have preferred that he stayed in the fold. But he had to learn the hard way. So this man represents our Heavenly Father because our Heavenly Father would prefer that we stay in the fold. But He has given all of us the gift called free will. And ultimately, we got to learn for ourselves. It'd be better if we just listened to our, our youth leaders and our pastors and our spiritual leaders. It'd be better that we just stay in the church and not have to deal with the pain of the world. But you know what? However, you got to learn it. If you got to take the path of the oldest son or the youngest son, what's important is that you realize that your Heavenly Father loves you at every level. One of the things that's so interesting about this story is that though the father eventually gave in, he never gave up. Every day he goes out and he's looking for him. A father's love does not give up. He'll throw that ball to his son 1,500 times so he can learn how to catch it. Because a father's love does not give up. One of the things we know about the nature of the Father is that even though the Lord has given us free will, and even though this heavenly Father that's illustrated through this story of a natural Father is given to us in the context of Him giving the boy the money. He gives him permission but it may not have been the Father's will. You see, God can give us permission without it necessarily being God giving us His favor. There is a difference. 
That's illustrated in the Old Testament through the story of Balaam. He, he went to the Lord over and over and over again. And finally, he said, go. It didn't mean that it was the will of the Father. It just simply was the permission of the Father. You can say, I want to do this, I want to do it, I want to do it, I want to do it. And the Lord will let you do it and He'll never stop loving you. But it doesn't mean it's God's will that you do it. Hallelujah. Sometimes you got to get like Jesus did and said, not my will, but thy will be done. This is what I want. But more than what I want, I want what you want. I could use the natural to illustrate. I've had, you know, conversations with my sons. And I was not real hip on the idea of them getting cell phones. I don't know what age they started asking for, but there was a lot of no's before there was a yes. Can we get an iPhone? No. Can we get a No. So finally around 15, I had to say yes, because you know how it is. You can't raise them in a bubble their whole life. But I knew that when they got those phones, I was handing them a loaded gun. And you know, as a dad and a mom, you, you know, parents, you try to do everything you can to protect them from all the evils that are out there. But ultimately, every single person has got to make up their own mind. You can't do it as parents. You can't do it as the church. Everybody has got to decide, I want him for myself. We had to have a conversation and now... You know, they're, they're driving, and before long, they're going to have, you know, their own driver's license, and they're going to be driving on their own. And once again, they're handing another loaded gun. The keys to the car. And I'm sure there'll be a lot of sleepless nights. Because they've got the keys to the car. And the thought of them being in an automobile. They're like their dad, not always obeying the speed limit. That's a scary thought. But at some point, you've got to be like this father. Like your heavenly father. He could have made us all like robots that we just report to church. We just say, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. But he didn't want that kind of a relationship. He wanted you to have a choice in the matter. So he gave you an iPhone and he gave you the keys to the car. And he wanted to know, are you going to be responsible for what I've given you? Are you going to let it ruin you? Don't you know God would love to give everybody in this building $10 million this morning? Before you leave, the ushers with the mask and the gloves will be giving you $10 million that has come straight from heaven. 
a gift from your heavenly Father. When my sons were young, they were trying to figure out what happens with the offering at church. And one of them was telling his brother, it's really easy. I don't know why you don't understand it. They put the money in the little bags and then it goes to Sister Richie. She counts it. She gives it to Dad. And Dad takes it down to that building and puts it in that little tube and shoots it up to heaven. It made perfect sense. (laughs) But if God knew, it wouldn't ruin us. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Oh, you say, Pastor, I wish he'd trust me with 10 million. It wouldn't ruin me. I'd pay tithes on it. Boy, you'd be surprised how money mess up people. I've settled enough of these cases and seen how the people react with money. I've seen people had seven-figure settlements from different personal injury accidents and so forth. And I've seen them a year later be going through divorce court, be declaring bankruptcy, lost everything. I've had them tell me, I wish we'd have never got one dollar. Because it destroyed us. Let me tell you something about your heavenly father. It's not that God doesn't want to bless you, but God cares more about your character than he does about your comfort. He'd rather you be saved and live like a millionaire on this planet because when it's all said and done, only what's done for Christ is going to last. So i got to hurry. So this father has three conversations. One with the youngest son when he returns, one with the servants, and one with the oldest son. And there are times whenever you've got to just have a conversation with your heavenly Father. It's called prayer. You've got to have a conversation. And the first conversation is something that's so beautiful because it's how the father is receiving the youngest son. You see, though the father had finally given in, and he had said, okay, fine, and he gave him his inheritance, and he went and he blew it all. Every day this man goes out and looks down the street and prays for his son's return. Oh, the view of the father is that he never stopped. He knew at some point he had to let him go. But in his heart, he never let him go. And so every day he's out there looking. Every day he's out there praying. Every day he's out there looking. Is he coming down the road yet? Oh, there were many sleepless nights, I'm sure. He replayed that scene in his head countless times. But after many nights of tears, after untold trips to the road and the disappointed walk back to the house, he finally sees the shape of a young man coming down the dusty road. 
And the dad could not contain himself. Because the Bible says in the text that we read that while the son was a great ways off, he didn't wait till he come upon the porch. He didn't wait till he got to the house. But while he was a great ways off, the enemy talks people out of coming back home because he says, oh, when you go back home, oh, there's going to be people there. They're going to be looking at you. They're going to be scrutinizing you. They're not going to receive you. Can I tell you, if we've got the spirit of our heavenly father, you don't have to get all cleaned up. You ought to come with your scars and your mistakes and all of your hurt and pain. And there is a heavenly father that sees you a ways off. cleaned up before you come home you just got to make your way to the house come as you are and he receives him immediately he doesn't even have to think about it we spend time thinking about it what the journey back is going to be like whether we'll be received but the view of the father is that he receives us immediately He doesn't even have to think about it because he never gave up on us. He never forgot about us. Even when we weren't there, he was there. And Gregory's going to come and tell you about the view of the son. Would you welcome him in Jesus? Amen, amen. Wow, that was powerful. How's everybody doing this morning? Good? So I'm not going to speak for very long, but I'm just going to read one verse. And before I do, though, I would like to thank my dad, who's the pastor, Bishop, and Brother Richie for just letting me speak for a little bit. Hopefully I don't mess things up too bad. But I'm just going to speak from Luke chapter 15, verse 22. And it said, But the Father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. We all know the story of the prodigal son. He left, spent all his money. He was saying from day one, the day I turn 18, I'm out of here. I'm going to leave everyone behind. I'm going to spend my money. I'm going to get out of here and do whatever I want to do, and no one can tell me any better. The older brother probably said, hey, you need to stay here. Stay here and save up your money. Spend it later when you're older. But as brothers normally are, they don't care what anyone else says or what the other one says, at least. (laughs) But the younger son goes away, wastes all his money. And then a famine hits. And it's not just how life is. Once you knock down, you can't get back up. Famine hits, he's feeding pigs, and then he eats with the pigs. And it just goes from bad to worse. Eventually he starts thinking to himself, hey... Back home, Rob and Bob taking out the trash eat better than I do. I mean, they eat better than this. But I can promise you, one of the first things he thought was as soon as I get home, everyone's just going to say, I told you so. Told you shouldn't have spent all your money. Told you should have stayed here. You could have saved all your money. Now Now look what's happened. You're broke. 
people of God, we got to make sure that when backsliders come back and people come here, we can't say, I told you so. We have to be like, you belong here. Amen. You belong in the house of God. And we have to be like the father. As soon as they come here, we have to hug them and say, you belong here in the house of God. And this is who you are and where you belong. Amen. Well, finally, the son gets desperate enough, and he starts on his way home. And the whole walk home, he's preparing what he's going to say. He's going to say, I'm sorry, Dad. I messed up. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Just let me take out the trash once a week with Rob and Bob. Just let me do that, please, just to make a little money. But little does he realize the father's been waiting for him every day on the porch, looking for him waiting for him, praying for him every day. And on the day the father sees him, he runs as fast as he can. And let me tell you something. A rich, older man back then did not run a lot. He was not very athletic, I can tell you that. But as soon as he sees his son, he doesn't care about anything. He's going to run to his son. And thank God, the Bible says, he had compassion on him. Thank God we have a God that has compassion on us that when we've messed up and we've made mistakes and we've fallen from God, He has grace and mercy every day for us. Amen? So the father runs up, gives him a hug, and then the son's trying to say, Dad, 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 I've prepared the speech. I'm sorry. I've sinned against you and in, I've sinned against heaven. But the father doesn't care what he's saying. He says, he says to the servants and to the cooks, he says, bring the best robe. And put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, and bring the hither, and bring the hither and fatty calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. Now in that verse it says, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Each one of those have a special meaning. First the robe in the Bible times symbolized uh, symbolized a thing of love and acceptance. For instance for instance in Genesis thirty seven it says Joseph loved Jacob more than all his children. So he gave him what? The coat or the robe of many colors. Second time when Joseph was in the palace and he was put in second command of all of Egypt, it says in Genesis 41 that the king put fine linens on him. So we know that the robe represents love and acceptance. But what about the ring? The ring represents the authority that is given to him. It says whosoever has the ring has the power to govern for his master. He has authority, the authority of the master to make decisions and to help master govern his realm. And when the father placed the ring on him, it's a sign that says you're back home and you're not just going to stay here. You're going to work here and you have authority over everything that's here. An example in Esther was when the king took off his ring and gave it to Mordecai. And it says, it says that he took off his ring from Haman and gave it unto Mordecai. And Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. When the king gives Mordecai his ring, it is a sign that now he has the power and authority, that of like the king. Isn't it amazing when we get the Holy Ghost and we are baptized in his name, we have the power and the authority, that of like the king. Amen. We are baptized in his name and we have his authority. The last one is the shoes. The father asked the servants to bring sandals for his feet. He was either barefoot or he had some broken down shoes. And in those days, when, they, when someone wasn't wearing shoes, it was a sign of mourning. It says in Ezekiel, Ezekiel wife, his wife dies and God says, Do not weep, 
Do not take off your shoes, for God is with you. The normal practice is removing your shoes. But the returning son is not to sorrow anymore because his joy is back when his shoes are given to him. Amen? In ancient, in ancient Palestine, there was another custom. Servants in the house were to be barefoot. It was the mark of their servanthood. The wandering son had come back saying, I am no longer worthy to be called your son and make me one of your hired servants. The father is saying, no, you are my son. You are not a servant and you belong here. Amen. You're not, you're not going to work for me. You belong here and you have the right and the authority as my son. And also says that he put the best robe on him and he put a ring on his finger and he put sandals on his feet. Those are signs that the servants did it, not the son. The servants were putting those on him. Amen. The robe, the ring, and the running shoes are not thrown at him. They are put on because it's the sign for the servants to put on the shoes. Amen. And giving him the shoes, the father is making the declaration to his returned son. You are no servant in this house. You are a visitor to our home. This is where you belong. The son is sandaled robed and ring before he even enters the home. The father wants no signal to be given to his son or to anyone else in the house, especially the older son. They want, he wants everyone to know that this is where he belongs. He belongs here, and we're all sons and children of God. Amen? Amen. He wants us to know you have the acceptance, the authority, and the affirmation that this is your rightful place at the master's table. And that's what I believe is the view of the son. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Mm. Woo. Hallelujah. What a good God we serve. Gives us the ring and the robe. Put shoes on our feet. The second conversation he has is with those servants. And he says, we're going to have a party. Not only does he receive him, but he says, we're going to rejoice with his arrival. <laughs> oh, this is a conversation that we need to have with ourselves sometimes. You've been sad long enough. You've been crying long enough. It's time to get your joy back. It's time to get the peace of God back in your heart. We're going to have a party. Do you know that there's no partying like what goes on in heaven? Heaven parties a lot more than this world ever dreamed about partying. Because the Bible said that all of heaven rejoices over just one that repents. There's a bunch of people repenting every day. That means there's a bunch of rejoicing going on in heaven. And if they're rejoicing in heaven, we ought to rejoice on earth. And finally, the third conversation with his oldest son is one of reaffirming. He receives the youngest son. He rejoices with the servants and he reaffirms because the oldest son is out in the field working and there's all this commotion going on and he he asked one of the guys, hey, what's going on up at the house? He said, well, you haven't heard? Your brother has returned. Your dad's put a robe on him and a ring and put shoes on his feet and said, let's kill the, the fatted calf. We're going to have a party. Come on, you got to go. We got to get cleaned up. The oldest son is like, 
I think I'll take a rain check. Because you know the oldest son had to be like, what am I, chopped liver? I've been here working every day. He's been out sowing his wild oats and now we're going to have a party? Nobody had a party for me. Nobody celebrated every day when I got up. And God, I hear, and took care of the land. So they told the father, the oldest son is still in the field, and the father goes to him. And in the final of three conversations that the father has, he says to his oldest son, all that I have is yours. It's interesting because when you compare that to earlier part of the chapter where the story says the young son got his inheritance, it said he spent all that he had. So you have one son who has spent all that he had. And you have another son whose father says, all that I have is yours. You see, my friend, there's a difference between spending all that you have and receiving all that is yours. What the Heavenly Father wants us to know through this portal, through the eyes, through the perspective of this natural Father is that when you serve the Lord, when you are faithful to God, yes, though others may come back in and God receives them into the fold and they have the hope of heaven just like you and I, there is a double portion to those that are faithful. Because not only are you blessed in the life to come, you're blessed in this life as well. Uh, Sure, we may not throw you a party. We may not give you a free gift every time you come to church. But every day you walk with God, you've got the hope of heaven and you've got the blessing of the Father on a daily basis. Hallelujah, hallelujah. All that I have is yours. His name is Dick Hoyt. Seventy times he's pushed his disabled son, Rick, 26.2 miles in marathons. Eighteen times he's not only pushed him 26.2 miles in a wheelchair, but also towed him 2.4 miles in a dinghy while swimming. And pedaled him 112 miles in a seat on the handlebars. All in the same day. Dix also pulled him cross-country skiing, taking him on his back, mountain climbing. He once hauled him across the United States on a bike 3,735 miles in 45 days. You see, the story started in Winchester, Massachusetts, 51 years ago when Rick was strangled by the umbilical cord during birth, leaving him brain damaged and unable to control his limbs. He'll be a vegetable the rest of his life. Dick says the doctors told him and his wife, Judy. But when little Rick was nine months old, they told him, put him in an institution. But the Hoyts weren't buying it. They noticed the way that that Rick's eyes followed them around the room. So when Rick was 11, they took him to the engineering department at Tufts University and they asked, 
if there was anything to help the boy communicate. No way, Dick says, he was told. There's nothing going on in the brain. The doctors and the engineers told him. But the father wouldn't receive that message. And he challenged the report by saying, tell him a joke. So they told a joke, and when they did, the 11-year-old boy laughed. Turns out a lot more was going on in the brain than they realized. Rigged up with a computer that allowed him to control the cursor by touching a switch with the side of his head, Rick was finally able to communicate, and his first words were, Go Bruins! And after a high school classmate was paralyzed in an accident in the school, organized a charity run for him. Rick pecked out with his little electronic cursor by the side of his head. Dad, I want to do that. Yeah, right, thought his dad. His dad describes himself at that time as a porker who never ran more than a mile at a time. How was I going to push my son in a wheelchair for five miles? But still he tried, finishing the race Second to last. Then it was me who was handicapped, his father says. I was sore for two weeks. But he said, that day changed Rick's life. Dad, the boy typed, when we were running, it felt like I wasn't disabled anymore. That sentence changed the father's life. He became obsessed with giving Rick that feeling as often as he could. He got in shape. He worked out. His stomach became rock hard. He was finally ready to try the Boston Marathon. No way, Dick was told by a race official. The Hoyts weren't quite a single runner, and they weren't quite a wheelchair competitor. They were somewhere in between, and so for a few years, Dick and Rick just joined the massive field and ran anyway. But they found a way to get into the race officially. In 1983, they ran another marathon so fast, they made the qualifying time for Boston the following year. Then somebody said, hey, Dick, why not a triathlon? The father dismissed that, because how's a guy who never learned to swim and hadn't ridden a bike since he was six years old, how was he going to haul his 110-pound kid through a triathlon? But still, the father tried. Now they've done 247 triathlons, including six grueling 15-hour Ironman competitions in Hawaii. So a reporter was curious and said, Hey, Dick, why not see how you do on your own? No way, the father said. Dick does it purely for the awesome feeling that he gets seeing his son, Rick, uh, with a big old cantaloupe smile on his face uh, as they run and swim and ride together. They've now run 1,077 endurance races together. And though the father is in his 80s, uh, he's still running with his son. My time has gone 
but I've come to tell you that the love that Jesus has for you and for me is so much greater than this story and so much greater than your mind can imagine. Just like he did when he called Peter from the seashore. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Stand to your feet. That's the view of the Father. That's the view from the back of the chair. No sacrifice is too great. No burden is too heavy. No journey is too long. He will push you. He will pull you. He will carry you. So why not? Why not come home today? Come home to a heavenly father that waits for you. On this Father's Day, don't wait for a more convenient season. While you're still a ways off, just make your way home. You don't have to have it all figured out. Here I come, Lord, with my bruises with my scars with all of the mistakes I know my heavenly father waits I wonder right now would you bow your head Lord I present to you today this beautiful congregation of people who have gathered in your house we're overwhelmed by your love we're overwhelmed that you would love us that you would care for us It's hard for us to get our brain around, Lord. But we receive your word. And God, I acknowledge that you're pulling at my heart. And so I respond to you right now. I wonder how many of you would just step out from where you're standing and would you just make your way down to the front. Let this be symbolic of a journey that you're making. Here I come, Lord. Here I come, Lord. Here I come, God. I'm not waiting on one more day. But I'm coming to you, Lord, and I'm saying, I want to be back in your presence. I want to be back in your sweet embrace. Because, God, I recognize I can't live this life without you. used to be different, Lord. There used to be a time when I rejoiced in your presence. The cares of life are stolen. The joy that once was there. But I'm coming home today, God. I'm coming back to you. I'm coming back to a place of freedom. I'm coming back to a place to exalt you and to rejoice in you, oh Lord. make it to the front, but right where you're at, right where you're standing, you'll lift your hands right now as Brother Jeff sings this song with our worship team. I wonder if you'd lift your hands and would you lift your heart unto the Lord all over this building. Come on, let it be a massive homecoming right now in the name of Jesus Christ.